Life Audio. So even though we're forgiven again and again, and but the more we actually confront our selfishness, the more we confront our patterns of fear, of control, of shame, of anger, as we begin to become aware of those things and awake to those things and we consider who God is, we are going to keep failing, we're going to keep falling, but our desires begin to be for what God desires. It's really hard to spend time with the creator of the universe and then keep claiming that you're in charge of your reality and that you're in charge of your view on the world. Because if we spend time with the creator of the world, we begin to see the world the way he sees the world. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to How to Study the Bible and our January series Secrets of the Good Life. We are talking about the rhythms and habits that we have as believers that help us be led into a life of peace and of joy and of righteousness. And we're going to be doing that through a little bit of an integrated series, although today is a workshop day. Today, we're going to be using our Alive Method questions to walk through one passage of scripture together. And I really do want to invite you to do this with me. So if you're in a place or in a space where you can have your Bible and have a journal, I I prefer paper Bible if you have one because it lets you have verses in context. But of course, you can get a free Bible app on your phone very easily. But maybe a piece of paper and your journal or your Bible will help you kind of do this work with me. So the reason I wanted to bring you here is because we're going to see a chapter in scripture that really lets us in on the feelings that we all feel when we know that we have fallen short, whether you're falling short because of intentional choices that you're making that you know are destructive to you or to someone else, or if you just feel trapped in faulty thinking or trapped in unforgiveness or trapped in anxiety where it's not actually who you want to be, but you find yourself unable to change. You just continue to live this life out in a way that you don't want to live. And you know that you want to be a person of joy and of peace, but you're not experiencing it. Either one of those things, I think when we engage in this passage together, we're going to have the opportunity to see the way that God brings us to the truth of ourselves and then releases us from that through confession and through repentance. So we're going to be in Psalm 51 today. So if you want to pause your podcast, find your Bible, find your journal, find your pen, let's go through this chapter together. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y 
or visit give.cru.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. Okay, so if you're new to the podcast with us, I would encourage you for sure at some point to go back to January 2020 and listen to the first six episodes that really help you understand the Alive Method or to pick up my book, Help My Bible is Alive, which is a 30-day Bible boot camp to help you kind of get oriented to how to study the Bible. But um, either way, we're going to walk through the same method wherever you are in your practice. And that method is we're going to ask four questions of Scripture. This is what we do each week. The four questions we're going to ask is, what does it say? And what does it say means we're going to take some notes, we're going to ask some questions, we're going to try to synthesize what we're reading and be like, okay, generally, what's my takeaway here? Like, what's what's happening in this passage? This is a very simple step, but one that many, many people skip. Generally, what people do when they come to the Bible is they're like, God, give me something to encourage me so that I can move on with my day. And we're quickly trying to like, pick and choose different things that we want to read, or we're looking for the application right away. We're like, I don't know what this is about, but tell me how this helps me today, you know? And that's a good place to start. It's fine to start there in scripture. And you may even have a Bible that gives you those application ideas. But if you don't move past there, it's very difficult to mature in the faith. Maturing in the faith means really actually engaging like what was happening here. And what is the history behind the Bible? And who are these people? And why does it matter? And who is God in the midst of all this? It gives you this richness and appreciation for your faith that I think really will sustain you through the more difficult times. So that's why we do what we do. We ask the question, what does it say? And we slow down and say, like, generally, what's our takeaway here? What are some themes? What are some lists? What are some questions we might have from reading this passage? Then we ask, what's the backstory? And this is going to either be super important. In some places, it's going to be really important. It's always a little bit important, but it does, in this passage especially, we're going to get a little bit of the backstory that's going to just help us engage with the person who wrote it. The next question we're going to ask is, what does this mean? This one requires the the most practice, I would say, the most knowledge, and I'm here to help you with this one. This is asking the question, what is the spiritual principle that we learn from this passage? What does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about human beings? What does this teach us about the interaction between God and human beings? And this is where we draw on other knowledge of the Bible in order to build these theories out, these principles out. And then our final question is, what does it mean for me? So if this principle is true, what does it mean for my everyday life? And this is where we get super micro and we apply it directly to the situation that we're in. We can apply it directly to our anxiety about a decision we have to make or apply it directly to the way we're thinking about a certain relationship. We can apply it directly to the way we show up at work that day. It's very, very specific to your situation. But we get there by finding the principle first. We find the timeless truth That's as true for me now as it was for me when I was 17. That's as true for you now, wherever you are in Australia, in the UK, in Nigeria, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, 
the truth is the truth, no matter our circumstances. And then we apply that truth to our life. So that's the Alive Method. And what I want to do this time, because this is a great place to start, especially if you're new to studying the Bible, is I'm going to read Psalm 51 for you. And if you're reading along with me, I'm going to read it to you in the NIV translation. You can make some notes in your Bible. You can make some notes in your journal. Look for themes like, what is it saying? Like, what's happening in this chapter? What is the author doing in this chapter? And we're going to take some notes and then review those together. Here we go. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, surely from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay, so we could take a long time on this one because there's so many places to go. The first thing I do whenever I read a passage of scripture is just notice what you noticed, what phrases stood out to you, what words stood out to you that you long for or that you're interested in. I know for me, it's different every time I read it. But today I read in verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Like in the midst of this sorrowful confession of David realizing who he really is, there was this like desire. Let me hear your joy and gladness. And I love verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So right now, write down what phrase it is that stood out to you, one or two phrases that you read, because this is a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. And so when something stands out for you, it's because God is speaking to you through his word. So you can rely on that. You can want to engage with that more. You can let that phrase or that word stick with you today. And even if you did nothing else, that alone would be the beginning of a conversation with the Spirit who has something to say to you. Don't think too hard about it. Don't analyze it. Just allow the words to come forward that are sticking out to your mind today from this psalm. After you've done that, we can ask that question, what does it say? And we can review like what's happening in this passage. So I'm going to read to you from my text notes here in Psalm 51. 
about the things that are happening right in this psalm. So when we ask the question, what's the backstory? This psalm has very clear backstory. And the backstory of this psalm is that this is what David wrote after Nathan confronted him about committing adultery with Bathsheba. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com. Dot com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. We just learned about Bathsheba in December. You can go back to that episode and listen to the story. But this is the results of that sin. David sinned egregiously against Uriah, his friend, against Bathsheba when he took her, against all these people. But we know in the Psalms, he says, like, at the end of the day, God, it's you that I sinned against. I chose to live for myself. I did not listen to your commands. I did not live the way that you told me to live. And so he's coming to God after this has happened and confessing his sin and engaging with God around what's happened. Okay, so here's some themes that we see here in this chapter. We see David's repentance which means he he actually expresses genuine sorrow. He makes an admission of his sin. He says, I know I've sinned. He doesn't give the specific sin right here, but in this conversation with God, it's like he's saying, I know what I've done and I know what it is, right? So that's coming to his mind as he speaks to God. He talks about desiring forgiveness, that he wants God's favor, um, he's asking for God's favor. He's asking for forgiveness. He's he's looking for joy. He wants the joy of God to return to him. He wants the joy of his salvation to return to him. He wants to be willing, right? So he doesn't just say, God, I have a willing spirit. He says, God, will you give me a willing spirit? Will you grant me a willing spirit to follow you? Will you help the spirit in me that wants to follow you? Will you make that spirit stronger? And then finally, and I love this one too, there's this willingness to testify about the grace of God. Like, hey, God, I'm not just going to keep this to myself. When I experience your joy and you restore me to the joy of my salvation, I'm going to teach other people about it. I'm not going to keep it to myself. And in order to teach other people about it, of course, that implies that you would talk about your sin. You would talk about where things have gone wrong for you in order to talk about what God has done for you. Too many Christians, I believe, do not have a 
method of confession. They don't have a practice of confession. And if you grew up in a more liturgical tradition like Anglican, Episcopal, Catholic, you are familiar with confession. You might be so familiar with it that it's actually quite routine and rote. All of us have to engage with the fact that we want to ask God to give us a willing spirit. We want to ask God to give us joy. We want to face reality of who we really are. And we never outgrow the need for confession. We never outgrow the need to be engaging in this way. And if you feel stuck, if you feel blocked, if you feel dull, this is where you want to start. Step one was consider. We consider who God is. The step two is confession for sure. And confession isn't just about ways that we willingly sin, although we all do that. Confession is also about faulty and anxious thought patterns. It's about the way we engage with the world from a place of self-pity or self-hatred. It's about places where we live in fear and anxiety and try to control things. That's also sin. And we're in this like therapeutic season of life, right? Where people is really okay to not be okay, which I'm super glad for. We, we absolutely need mental health awareness. We absolutely need that. But we also need to be able to engage and say, this thought pattern does not represent the glory of God. This thought pattern in me, although I might not feel like I can control it, God wants to free me from living in this way. And and freeing us, if this is like a clinical problem, if we have a clinical thought pattern that truly is crippling us in life and in work and in even just our personal rhythms, we may need that healing to come in the form of therapy and medication, engagement, right, in, in all of these tools that God has given us. But you may be kind of a run-of-the-mill person who isn't experiencing a clinical crisis, but you still carry these faulty thought patterns and you're stuck in unforgiveness, you're stuck in bitterness, you're stuck in anxiety, you're stuck in trying to control life so that you can manage your fear and you just you basically have a fear management operating system and you're living from that place and you're wondering why you're not experiencing joy and fullness and freedom. Or you're stuck in a shame pattern, you're stuck in self-hatred, you're stuck in this sense of like, you're always not enough and you're always wrong and everything's always bad and everything that's wrong in your life is your fault. And you've got that pattern going on, which is this like self-pitying pattern that also is a sin pattern. So whenever we feel stuck and we don't feel free, I always say, start with confession, start with Psalm 51, follow the theme and the tone that we hear here from David, where he's really desiring God to cleanse him. He's really desiring God to help him own up to his mistakes. But the thing I love about it is that he is not claiming his own righteousness. He's drawing on God's righteousness. He's basically saying, God, because of who you are, make my life better. (laughs) Like Here's all the ways I've messed up. Here's all the ways that I am just sinful, sinful from birth, in sinful patterns, but because of who you are, make me joyful, cleanse me, make me righteous. It's not because I'm going to be righteous. He doesn't claim that he's going to get better. He says, hey, I'm going to tell other people about who you are. He doesn't say, I'm going to do better. He just says, like, this is what happened, and I'm asking your forgiveness, and I need you to cleanse me. And by the way, like when I experience this restored sense of the joy of my salvation, I'm going to tell other people about it. I'm going to draw on that because that's what you want. You want my broken heart. You want my contrite spirit. You want me to come to you, right? Psalm 71 verse 2 says, In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Has nothing to do with our righteousness. We draw 
on God's righteousness. Here's the penultimate confession verse worth memorizing. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess God is always faithful, God is always just, he always forgives, he always cleanses because it's based in his character, not in our character. And the character of God is a character of faithfulness and forgiveness. God is not fickle. He's not changing his mind about you. He's not changing his mind about forgiveness. He's not weighing our sin and deciding what sin is worth forgiving and what sin isn't worth forgiving. Because if that was the case, he would not have needed the kind of sacrifice that he offered through his son. Because Jesus sacrificed his life unto death, all sin was killed by the crucifying power of Jesus. Jesus undid the shame, the power, the wrath of sin in our lives, no matter what the sin is. So here's what happens next, right? After we think about all this, it just sounds too good to be true. And so we have objections to this idea that no matter what, no matter how many times, no matter what it is, God's going to keep forgiving me. Because the question we have is like, well, if that's true, doesn't that just give me license to just keep on sinning? Like, if that's true, why don't I just live my life however I want? Because God's always forgiving me, right? Well, (laughs) true. (laughs) But have you ever heard that idea that you are the sum of the five people that you hang out with? That like whoever you hang around with, you eventually become like that person. So if you hang out with degenerates and derelicts, you become more degenerate. If you hang out with righteous people and good people, you become more good. Like we generally start to take on the character of the people around us. And whether or not you fully ascribe to that, I pretty much do. I think that we are pretty malleable people and it is really important who we hang around with. So if that was true, think about this. The more we hang out with Jesus, the more we just want to be like Jesus. The more we see ourselves clearly and objectively, we're going to start to discover that we don't actually like the ways of wickedness. Bit by bit, wickedness becomes more and more distasteful. Something that may have seemed fine before, we just start not liking. It's just because we're hanging out more and more with Jesus. So even though we're forgiven again and again, and but the more we actually confront our selfishness, the more we confront our patterns of fear, of control, of shame, of anger, as we begin to become aware of those things and awake to those things and we consider who God is, we are going to keep failing. We're going to keep falling, but our desires begin to be for what God desires. It's really hard to spend time with the creator of the universe and then keep claiming that you're in charge of your reality and that you're in charge of your view on the world. Because if we spend time with the creator of the world, we begin to see the world the way he sees the world. So you don't have to worry that you have a license to keep on sinning. In fact, go try it. Try it. Try to just keep on sinning and see how it feels because the reality is it doesn't feel good. (laughs) As soon as you start to spend time with God, as soon as you work through Psalm 51 and you're willing to engage really clearly and objectively with your sin pattern, it's not that fun. (laughs) Like we still fail and we still make mistakes, but it doesn't feel that good because we start trying to do what God wants us to do and we want to love God with our whole heart and we want to love others the way God loves them. Ooh, those pricks of conviction will start to rise up in you and it does not feel good. And eventually, the pain of wickedness becomes more painful and we don't want it anymore because the goodness of God and the goodness of his love and grace becomes so much better 
that that other stuff becomes more and more sort of undesirable. And that's the way it works when we spend time with God. So why do we consider first? Because when we consider, when we start to be awake to our reality, we begin to engage with this idea that, ooh, there is a God of the universe and, ooh, things are not always right with me. There's a lot going on in here I'm trying to avoid. And then when we stop avoiding it, we move to confession. We move to repentance. We can follow the ways of Psalm 51, knowing that our God is good and that because of his faithfulness, he will create in us a new heart. He will renew a steadfast spirit within us. He will restore to us the joy of our salvation. And praise God, he will grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Amen, everyone. Talk with you next week. How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you like what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.